a little chilly down here, finally. 40s feels like 30s or something like that, which I don't understand. Who does the it feels like? I mean, it's, it's like, it's like okay, it's 40 degrees. Hey, somebody go ask Stan what, what he thinks it feels like outside. And then he's like, I think, you know, it's probably like, what, 36? Like, he doesn't know, you know, so he just, like, guesses a number. And they're like, all right, cool. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 97 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. How are you today? You know, when you said episode 97, I'm like, I can't believe we're that close to episode 100. Just a couple of weeks away, matter of fact. And so for those doing the math, episode 100, just around the corner, like literally it'd be the first episode of 2019. So I believe that's January the 2nd, if I have the dates mm-hmm. right in my head. And so that'll be a fun episode. We're going to do, uh, that's kind of our best of show uh, for those that are our listeners uh, of at least a, I don't know, a year. Mm-hmm. would have heard last year's uh, where mm-hmm. we voted on best guest, uh, favorite topic, uh, best recommendation, you know, so some of those types of things. Kind of like an award show. And so we'll be doing that again. That's a lot of fun to do. Uh, episode 100. Again, if you would, uh, we would love for you to vote on that. And so as you're listening, obviously, we'll have a link in the show notes. You can also go out to my Twitter, uh, Chris's LinkedIn, the show, you know, et cetera, and find a link to that. I'd love to have you vote. Yeah, you snuck in a question in that survey read that anyone who takes it will find out. I'm interested to see what how people are going to answer that one. Uh, you know, so I think in like 100 episodes, we have all these other shows that are on our network. We talk about how we want to get our fan involved. What are we missing? What else is uh, an important ingredient to making a good network like we have? That would be sponsors, right? Absolutely. do want to uh, take a minute to recognize one of our sponsors, Loyal. Uh, so data, no doubt you're buried in it from physicians and insurance to locations and services. Uh, But what if you could climb above it all, manage the connections, see the limitless possibility? Sounds really aspirational, and it's actually easy to do. Meet Connect. That's Loyal's intelligent data management platform designed to strengthen your system's consumer-facing data while making it simpler and easier to use. So to schedule a demo, not of just Connect, but maybe you're interested in Guide or one of their other products, you can skip over to their website at loyalhealth.com slash demo. Loyalhealth.com slash demo. Set up a time to check it out for yourself. So don't just take our word for it, but do tell them that we sent you. All right. Well, uh, you've downloaded today's episode. You know, we're back talking about social media and the impact that that has on your organization, more specifically the brand of your organization. We've got a great interview coming up later on with one of our uh, oldest social media friends. Cynthia Manley from Vanderbilt will be on here in a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody Chris and I have known for a long time through our relationship initially at Mayo Clinic, I guess, is maybe how we met her. And mm-hmm. uh, she's got some cool things to say. But so is social media really important as it relates to your brand? 
You know, Reed, you and I have been talking about social media recently because, as you know, we're going through a branding effort and we're talking through like how to best navigate that and what the impact is of a couple of organizations coming together on social media and developing, you know, uh, strategies around digital branding through social. When we talk about this, a, a couple of questions spring to mind. The first is, is a good social media strategy nowadays going to really have an impact on brand? Isn't social media just really a glorified advertising platform now? I think that's an interesting question. And I think the answer is probably, it depends. <laughs> that's a terrible answer. I think it depends on your investment in the idea of what social media is. If you're simply using it as a broadcast mechanism, then yes, it probably is or maybe should be at that point an advertising platform only. Is it a good advertising platform? Yes, yes, it is. But I think unless you're willing to spend the time in more of the community aspect of social media, then it it is probably going to roll back to being an advertising platform. I think social media in and of itself uh, is kind of losing, it, losing its efficacy to do, reach audiences from a, an organic way. It's not really a great way for us to kind of push out communication to our audiences, but it's really shifted the way we have to think about using social media. And now instead of talking about it as like a way to push your branding messages out, it's about how do we engage our customers when they talk to us or complain about us on social media. And two, I think, you know, a lot of conversations I have with with organizations, hospitals specifically, they're saying the word social media, but they're really meaning Facebook. Yeah. There are some, some, you know, really effective ways to use social media. There's also effective ways to use Facebook, which is a type of social media. It's one of those things, it's like you and I have had conversations around ROI. It's like, do you really mean ROI or are you just looking for a return on the effort. Well, that's mm-hmm. totally different than than the financial measurement of ROI. Well, this is the same thing, right? So it's like, do you mean Facebook or do you mean social media as a whole? I agree with you 100%. So it's multiple channels, multiple different things, not just Facebook as our social media. The other part of this too, Reed, is, is, is it just one person at your organization doing social media or is really uh, your approach towards branding are developing brand through social media more than just making sure your one or two or five social media people know about your brand and be able to communicate about it. But you also have to engage your employees. You might have to engage like your executives to be out there speaking, you know, um, engaging with media through social channels. It's like now what we're talking about is it's, it's much more than just a couple of people that are sitting in the marketing or communications, you know, department. It's like your whole brand represents on social media through your employees, right? There's a blurring of the lines, just like we've talked about departmentally between marketing quality and ITNS and you know those types of things. There's a blurring of the line. It used to be very clean. Like somebody we had a webmaster because you had a website and like it was very it was very self 
uh, defined and, and confined. But social media, very straightforward. Well, then the reputation stuff came into play and the listings came into play, right? And so you know, where does that fit? Well, give it to the guy that does social media. You also have the overarching guidelines that legal and compliance give you about how you can respond to things and how you can communicate. And really, we know that a big part of branding is the the, the experience that people have with your brand. Mm-hmm. That defines the brand. And you're getting limitations now, particularly as um, more and more social channels are getting into trouble around data brokering. And we are faced with having to communicate in a less less than ideal manner, let's put it that way, with our audiences through these social channels. And that can negatively impact your brand too. You found a couple of good articles, kind of a pro and con, so to speak, of, uh, of social and its, its impact on your brand. And the first one from Entrepreneur Magazine is titled Five Impacts a Social Media Campaign Can Have on Your Brand. So again, we've got to contextually uh, define what brand means. Are we literally talking about brand recognition? Are we talking about the experience side of the equation, all of the above, et cetera? But anyway, keep that in mind. You know, it's going to be a little, maybe a little bit different for everybody. So the first thing they did talk about is specifically is about how uh, social media can inc- enhance your brand recognition and your thought leadership. Now, I think that many of us, when we're engaging on social media, particularly you and I, read, we know the importance of social media as a platform where thought leadership can occur, where you can create great information, credible information about your company, your brand, your the services you provide. And you could do that in a way by, you know, maybe helping your C-suite be more active on social media and use that as a communication platform. Like our CEO uses LinkedIn and Twitter as a way to not only reach our employees, but to also show thought leadership in the industry. That's an excellent example of this isn't about Facebook. LinkedIn is the aforementioned kind of platform for thought leadership. And it's a great way. And even from an internal communication standpoint, because of a lot of what, you know, from a B2C standpoint, LinkedIn is being used for is recruitment. So yeah, so having that recognition, that thought leadership there, I think is, is really important. You know, secondly, they talk about, you know, an increased trust through leveraged credibility. If you think about marketing and historically marketing, you know, you, you liked the idea of patient testimonials because mm-hmm. it was great to see someone else that went through a procedure in most cases, talk about how it was life changing or good for them, or they had a great experience or whatever it was, because that was much more credible to hear that from them than mm-hmm. the brand just telling you that they were really good at things. So social media lends itself to that because we think of that influencer movement. The other thing about it, too, is is that almost every social platform, not just Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, whatever, right? Name your social platform that it could be. And even Google, Google Reviews, has the ability for people that are maybe potentially following or aligning with a brand where they can communicate to the brand directly through these social channels. And in part, their expectation is to use these channels for communication. Well, that whole communication supports the credibility factor, supports the trust factor. You complain, you get a response, and at least shows that you're actually talking to someone. It's not just a blank wall, right? This is not new, right? I mean, celebrity endorsements, athlete endorsements. I mean, that's a thing. has been around forever. 
right? <laughs> in, in advertising. And so, you know, social media just happens to be set up in a way that allows that to be, I, I, you know, I guess fundamentally part of your, your effort and, and, you know, putting things out in front of people. The third point they have here is they say, uh, it's interesting the way he phrases it. He says, competitive advantage and cold conversions. What he's really talking about is in healthcare and with hospitals, health systems, most patients, they kind of know what they need to do in order to find a doctor, maybe research your services and make a decision. Well, social media gives you the advantage of having additional messaging, additional conversations against potentially your competitors to show your differentiators. It's much more than just content that's on your website or what your bio looks like and your find a doctor. Now you have the ability to go out to extend the, the, the personalization of your brand to these social channels. I think the web as a whole has fueled that, the consumerism, the way that has mm-hmm. uh, evolved, especially over the last several years. And again, social media has kind of uh, allowed for that. Uh, the, the fourth one here, uh, somewhat similar, I guess. Uh, you know, they refer to it as a greater percentage of referrals closed. I don't really see it. Uh, like, I, I don't know that I would have worded it that way. I understand what they're saying. But I don't know that I'd mm-hmm. word it that way. But, but basically, this is a way that you know, historically, if you were looking for, you know, where should you know, I'm new to town. Where should I go? My wife needs an, an OB/GYN. We just moved to town, or. I'm going to have an elective surgery. What doctor should I go to? What facility program? That kind of thing. Well, historically, you were left with asking neighbors, maybe people at church, other social settings. You know, you're up at the school with the kids and you're asking other parents, you know, that type of thing. Well, the internet and social media has put that uh, in a place where, you know, certainly you can search for those types of things, but you can use social to validate claims. Are they really who they say they are? Uh, And again, this is where some of the reputation management piece weighs in here, uh, obviously incredibly high. The ability to understand is, you know, are these people who they say they are? Is this person doing what he says he does? Is he getting the results he claims? It's not just, oh, well, apparently there's a, there's a quote here on his website (laughs) kind of a thing, right? You have a way to kind of validate that. Well, and another thing, too, to add to that, Reed, is that, you know, in this day of quote unquote fake news, really you could start to leverage your social channels as a way to be there to help maybe shift um, negative news or, or even false news about your organization and kind of drive it towards a different type of outcome. And, and you could do that in a very transparent way. And we'll hear that from when we hear Cynthia later on talking about, you know, how she uses social in crisis to help shift the perception that might be going out out there, talking people talking among themselves on social platforms and how she feels it's imperative for her brand, Vanderbilt, to be part of that conversation. So the last one, Reed, is it, it's interesting. Again, this obviously this guy does B2B because he says more cash and customers. What they're getting at here is that you know, social media, while it may have still a nominal impact on sort of your lead generation, your patient acquisition efforts, or whatever it is that actually help to guide people to transact with you, it's a, definitely a critical part of the entire digital infrastructure. And you kind of need it there. And if you have a presence on social, then that certainly is going to help you when people are making a decision to seek care with you. 
Yeah, certainly. I think a lot of these points obviously mentioned, you know, one through four, this is number five, but one through four roll up to number five. If you have the brand recognition, you have the thought leadership that's out there, you're you're trusted, you're credible, then certainly when it gets time to doing it, uh, you know, whatever, pulling the trigger, whatever that is, filling out the form, attending the seminar, uh, calling for an appointment, appointment online, et cetera, then, then certainly, yes. I mean, that's, that's where that conversion lies. Again, it's more nurtured than it is transactional, I think, on social in a lot of cases. Uh, unless you're purely going the advertising route, then certainly you know, sign up, call this number. Those types of things can, can be a little more transactional. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. We talk about the great positive impacts that social media has on your brand. I am remembering when I first started to do social media for a hospital system way back when in DC, I keep telling the story like day one or day two, someone tweeted out about the fact that at one of our hospitals, a baby was stolen. And it turned out that didn't actually happen. We were doing a code pink and I was able to respond to them and their 700 followers on Twitter to let them know that a baby was not stolen. This is a way for us to be safe. So we're doing a code pink and you overheard that you may have made a mistake. And I kind of, you know, sort of infuse this message of trust and showing that the health system is actually doing this to be safe. But the whole time I was thinking this wouldn't have happened if we didn't have social media, social media in its in and of itself created this problem. And so this is where I, I think we could talk about sort of the negative impacts that social media might have on us as branders, right, for a hospital. Uh, another great article uh, is at revchat.com titled, again, link in the show notes, seven negative effects of social media that may kill your business. First one being mm-hmm. social media ROI is difficult to measure. Uh, okay, number two. No, I'm just kidding. it is especially if you're talking about roi and you're talking about it in the correct form which is financial so maybe we can break those apart so we talk about financial and we'll talk about you know is it worth the effort the true financial return roi it is difficult to measure we're not in a transactional business in that way we're not selling widgets we don't have an online store it's going to be really hard to say you know we built a brand a loyal following, so to speak, on a social platform. And then this person, you know, came in and had this procedure based on interacting with us online. I think number one, the reason that's hard to measure is because we don't ask them operationally very well how they found out about us, why they're here, you know, those types of things. Yeah. yeah you get that anecdotal, you know, that's like where you do the survey, how'd you hear about us? And if you have TV as one of those, they're always going to choose TV, even if you're on there or not, right? People don't remember where they heard about you, but even more so, 
I mean, if you think about those, you know, how social media, there's so many different ways that people use social media. It's not necessarily part of the path to purchase. Mm -hmm. It's something that they do when they're trying to maybe even kick the tires on you, suss you out a little bit, or maybe they're looking to see if they heard this nasty thing that happened and they're just validating on your social channels. But the whole point of it is, is if you're going to be doing social media, you got to be spread all over the place and do all of these different things. How are you going to measure the impact that your actual efforts have on bottom line? It's really tough to do. It's not impossible. No. You could see some other episodes that we do on that. But, I mean, it's very, very difficult. It, it, it is. Again, the financial side of the equation. Now, the, is it worth your time? You know, you, you can show in a much easier and quicker fashion metrics around uh, volume, you know, how, how much traffic we're getting from platforms or content we're using, you know, things like that. That it's And even engagement numbers around certain things. And, yeah. But it is. It, it is difficult. It takes a little bit of time. And I think more than just it's difficult to measure, it may be difficult to convey the measurement. Another point that they bring up is why it may kill your business. It's that... Your employees are participating on social media, and whether you like it or not, all of your employees, all collectively, everybody that works at your health system, when they're talking about themselves on social channels, they're representing your brand image. There's a huge risk of employees breaching HIPAA breaching confidential patient information that could cause damage. And so we're very, very concerned about how do you manage all of your employees' engagement on social media? If you're looking at this article number two, it actually says your employees represent your brand image. When I first read that, I thought it said your employees resent your brand image. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, which quite honestly is probably not terribly far off in, in a lot of cases. They don't care. You know, they work there. They like what they're doing in a lot of cases and feel a mission and a passion towards that. But they don't want to be your marketing or advertising department. Like they don't feel like that's mm-hmm. their responsibility. And they feel like there's still some autonomy. You know, they think they'll be anonymous, so to speak on social. And so while there may not be a HIPAA breach, there may not be, you know, a security issue or anything like that, they're still saying potentially things that are damaging to your brand. We do a lot of monitoring, a lot of reputation management for in half for hospitals around the country, and I can't tell you times I've seen all of a sudden a flood of like Facebook messages. You know, I'm thinking like what what, what what's happening? And, you know, you just see these like come in through your email or like the, the pages app on your phone or something. So you get notifications. So you go look and people are like, I can't believe you'd hire somebody like this. And you're like, what, what, what? You know, it's like a screenshot or something. So you're trying to get to a computer. Well, inevitably, somebody said something inappropriate somewhere else on the Internet. Somebody followed that back to their Facebook profile. It says that they work at your organization. It's not even about their job. It's not even about them talking about their job. It's just they're not representing the brand well. Number three, uh, less control on uh, stuffs which are shared. I mean, people can do whatever they want anytime they want. You know, this is that whole deal where, you know, news stations were smart to get into the like, hey, if you see something, like let us know, like report it here, submit it here, you know, that kind of thing. Send us your videos or, or whatever. But you can't control what people do with this content once it's out in the wild, at least not very well or effectively, right? As far as the comments that happen, the shares, the retweets, the likes, 
And you say, you know, like the newsrooms has done a good job to say, if you see something, report it. That means that they're listening very well on social media too. They have people that are sitting there listening to all the different channels, trying to find stories that are appearing in the, in, you know, that they can go report on that they can learn more about. With a hospital health system, yeah, we could set up our social listening so we can hear our brand name mentions, maybe some of our executive name mentions. What about, you know, social conversations about healthcare that don't mention our brand that can go dangerously or wrong? that could start spreading false information or the other the flip side is what if you have start to have a you know a very unhealthy uh, engagement on the comments around one of your posts and all of a sudden it just blows up and we've heard this happen in many different places in particularly like what Mayo Clinic mentioned one where they're basically their comment threads got hijacked yeah. and it totally went in a totally different way they had to struggle just to keep up with people commenting on other people's comments and people that even you're talking about hijacking you know people that go in and they make the same comment across a number of different posts something negative happened to them you know their their loved one passed away at your facility and they're mad it's usually not even like the spouse or the or the, or the kids or so you know it's like some cousin you know or something and you know they'll they'll just copy and paste the same Comment it has nothing to do with the post on like every post they can find of yours. It's like a full time job just going around like trying to hide stuff, delete stuff, market is like, you know, re- you know, it's not relevant to this. Another potential is when uh, you if you make a mistake on social media, it's really hard to rectify. Or like the old saying goes, right? Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's hard to get it back in. Right. Yeah, somebody, I mean, inevitably, I mean, we see this all the time. I say we see this all the time. I see this a fair amount. I'm a big sports guy, uh, specifically college sports, right? Example, last night, uh, as we record this uh, last night, was the Heisman Ceremony. Biggest award Mm -hmm. in college football, right? And the guy that won it, by all accounts, I, I guess he's a pretty good guy or whatever. Somebody went back and found, and I, and I'm going to misquote this, but I want to say it was um, racist or homophobic or something. A couple of tweets he had sent when he was like 14 years old. So here it is. So six, seven years later, he's long since forgotten about sending these things out that, you know, now he knows better, wouldn't say those things. And I don't even know what he said. Honestly, I didn't even go look. And he's deleted them. But think how many people have screenshotted it. So it doesn't matter if he deleted it or not. It's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, to your point. Yeah. Is that a business opportunity? Can somebody write a piece of software that just sucks that into like a word cloud or something and or highlights negative words or something that you can go just review the list, you know, and go, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, number five, uh, negative customer reviews are harmful. Uh, I mean, yes and no. I, you know, I could probably argue this one both ways. If you go look at a business or a product or something, it's all five-star reviews. It's a little fishy. Everybody's human. Everybody's going to make a mistake. You know, every, every you know, businesses are run by people, you know. So, I mean, you're, you're going to have negative reviews. Again, a Mayo Clinic example, um, you know, they were bombarded with a bunch of one-star reviews that didn't have anything to do with their their uh, their care. This was several years ago now. can be harmful but you're this one you're probably okay honestly uh, out of all of these this one you're probably okay with if you're actually you know good at what you do 
when I go to like Amazon products and I know they're very well reviewed, I'm scouring all the good reviews to find the one or two bad ones because I'm thinking that there is a grain of truth in the bad ones. And so I'm looking to see like what in the worst possible case would happen if I purchased this product. If you didn't have any reviews at all, wouldn't it be better? I mean, I could see potentially how negative reviews could be a bit of a challenge, particularly if, you know, it was a really bad negative review. It would make give people pause. Yeah. Yes and no, I guess. I you know, like on Amazon, to your to your point, if I'm looking for an item and not a brand name item necessarily, but you know, if I'm looking for and I can't even come up with a good example, but some sort of a product, you know, there may be a five star or one that's pretty close to five star and it's got twenty-six reviews or something like that, and they're all five star. But then there's another one that's got like 1,171 reviews and it's four stars. I'm probably going to pick that one. So it's a lower review overall star rating, but there are more reviews. Everything's a little bit different. You know, I am going to go in and look at the highs and the lows, you know, try to kind of figure out and the people that are negative about it, how long ago was that? So, I mean, there's some nuances to that. But but again, out of these seven, yeah, it's harmful. But I mean, if you're not good at your job or you don't provide good care, then sure. Yeah, it's harmful. But otherwise, you're probably okay. Okay, what about the sixth one? Um, Social media is so time-consuming. Oh, isn't it? (laughs) It is. I mean, I I guess, yeah, if you do it right, I guess it would be. This goes back to the idea of are you actually participating? Well, if you're doing it right, you are. Or if you're you're just advertising. Exactly. But still, even advertising is highly time-consuming. It doesn't have that dramatic impact on the bottom line. Social media has a different role in the overall journey of your customers. Being able to, you know, manage it at these multiple touch points in their journey, it gets time consuming. You have to be good at service recovery. You have to be good at PR. You have to be good at marketing and only at the right times. Yes. And this is where the whole ROI thing comes into play, right? Because people talk about like, Early on, especially, it was like, and it's free. You know? <laughs> and I think they even mentioned that in here, right? And it's like, well, I mean, people's time. I mean, it's not it's not free. And it's like, well, yeah, but what would they be doing otherwise? So this comes down to you know value and priorities, and you know what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And then finally, number seven, the web is crowded with more and more content. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You know, people always talk about like, you know, especially back in like the mid nineties to late nineties, you could still Google stuff. Actually, it wasn't Googling. You could Alto Vista stuff. <laughs> yes. Or whatever it was. And like, it'd be like, sorry, no results. There's just nothing there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, there's more and more content. There's more and more platforms. There's more and more content because there's more platforms, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And so, yeah, it it is getting noisier and noisier. And I think that's why you have to be more diligent and you have to participate. I mean, if you have people you're participating with that care about what it is that you do and talk about, it doesn't really matter if there's more content or not. Well, I think, though, you have to have content that actually is differentiating to your brand. Um, You can't just go out there and just, you know, put all this chatter out there about things that everybody else is talking about. How many times have I heard we're not building our websites to be like WebMD? Well, we're not building our social media channels to be the social media equivalent of WebMD either. We have to put unique content. I think I said this before in a previous episode. I'm, I'm sick and tired of the meatless Monday recipes that go on social 
social media. Like people really care, right? <laughs> Meatless Monday. Is that a hashtag? <laughs> it, I'm sure I it is. <laughs> I guarantee you it's it's a hashtag. I may recommend that at the end of the show. <laughs> Those are just empty, right? And they worked for a while. You know, it was like, ooh, Pinterest recipes. That's the deal there. Or uh, nursery ideas. Yeah, that was that was that's what hospitals could do. You take a picture of the food. Again, that may work for some people. I, I don't know, but you you have to figure it out. You can't just go to a conference and go, mm, meatless Mondays. I'm taking that back. Yeah, we're definitely doing that. We look for opportunities uh, based on what we see other people do, mm-hmm. which is not all bad. No, but that's why we're getting crowded with more and more content because it's more and more of the same content. There's always room at the top, right? There's always room for a better widget. There's always room for uh, somebody that's more interesting, more famous, better looking, you know, the faster car, the nicer thing, or the person that spent more on this or whatever. I mean, there's always the top of the pyramid. We just don't need more of the same. So circling back to the original topic, you know, the top of the show, when we look at sort of the pros and the and the cons of how social media can impact your brand, I'm still left with that question is, are, you know, are we really overstating social media's importance on the brand or is it a critical part of your overall digital branding efforts? I do think social media has a, a very large impact on your brand, especially when you're talking about experience. Recognition? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you want to stay in front of people, but I, I think too, like we've talked about in other episodes, that is uh, pay to play uh, on a lot of platforms at this point. Experience, I still think it's a huge opportunity because I continue to see and, and amazed by the questions people will ask via Facebook. They're coming there and posting things like, the nurse hasn't been here in the last hour. Like they're in the hospital posting this on Facebook because no one's come by their room. It's still a channel that that, that the consumer looks to uh, to engage the brand. So because of that, it, it is. It is a huge impact on, on the brand. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. All right. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am talking with a dear friend of mine that I have known for 
gosh, almost the whole time I've been in this space, um, and that is Cynthia Manley. Cynthia, I'm so glad you're finally on the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to sit down with you. A lot of people may not know you, Cynthia, which would be a shame, but I want to, um, can you tell them a little bit, our audience, a little bit about your background, your experience? Yeah. Yeah, so I started out as a print journalist many, many years ago and still consider myself a bit of a journo at heart. Um, I went to Vanderbilt University Medical Center in the pub- what was then called the Public Affairs Office back in 93, and I've done just about every communications, marketing, PR role there. I've edited print publications, done media relations, was communications director at our cancer center. Luckily enough, through uh, reorganization, I ended up in marketing. Uh, I call myself an accidental marketer, um, but actually it was a great opportunity because the chief marketing officer at the time really saw the advent of social media and the promise there, and um, I had an interest in it, and it sort of played to my news sensibility, and so we were able to work together and grow a program. Um, so I've been doing, making a good living off social media for uh, 10 years now, I guess. Wow. Wow. And I remember that's like when you and I first started yeah. talking to each other. I mean, it was through this, the Mayo Clinic social media network yeah. that we're in. And I mean, my, how things have changed. It's been what, almost 10 years now that we've been working in this space and things have changed dramatically, dramatically. Over, the, over the years. So I, um, so we'll talk about those changes, yeah. particularly how it applies to what I just heard you speak, speak about, which is crisis communications. Mm-hmm. So Crisis communications. A lot of us, you know, know what that is. I think some of us that are more luddites in, in actually engaging in crisis communications may not have a full scope of what that could actually be. So, from your perspective, can you give us your viewpoint on crisis communications? What is that? Well, I think uh, crisis communications um, issues management. Um, whatever you want to call it, can um, take on many, many forms. It can range from, uh, in this day and age, a patient who's had a bad experience at your uh, operation and is um, has a large following and is generating a lot of uh, comments about uh, your how you've perceived to have mistreated them, to a negative news story, to um, crises that are out of your control, um, things like um, uh, tornadoes and um, fires, for, you know, and, uh, and in this day and age, unfortunately, mass shootings. I mean, all of those things create crisis in being able to keep our stakeholders informed, um, providing the right accurate information to the right places, um, and managing um, the health of our brand and the health of our customers all at the same time. So that sounds like a really big, important part of the work that you do um, and, and the work that every organization probably should be looking at. Uh, you mentioned stakeholders. When we say stakeholders, are we talking about the community in general or the, what other stakeholders are, are involved? Oh, well, certainly the community in general. And depending on the issue, certainly our patients and their families are going to be stakeholders. Our employees are important stakeholders that we have to remember. Um, potential donors, if you're a nonprofit. Key influencers, uh legislators, um, council members, mayors, city government officials who um, have an interest in what you do and the impact that you have in the community. And then for an organization like Vanderbilt, which is an academic medical center, we also are thinking about potential faculty recruits. We're thinking about potential residents, potential uh, fellow trainees, um, that we want to make sure that they have the most accurate and clear picture of what Vanderbilt is and what Vanderbilt does. It sounds to me like this is a, plays a very important role. It's much extends much more past just communications, right, mm-hmm. as a communications role. Cynthia, since I've been coming to these conferences almost 10 years now, right, you've been speaking about crisis communications, and you've probably seen some shifts 
in this space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think back in the day, early on, when we thought about crisis comms, we were still thinking um, uh, traditional media first, put the the statement out to the media, and also post the press release or the press statement on Facebook. That was Mm -hmm. kind of the extent of it. Um, What we see now is that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are often the first Um, warning signs. They're the canary in the coal mine of a coming crisis, for example. Um, About a year ago, we had, uh, there was a prisoner that was being transported for care at one of our clinics, and he somehow um, managed to break away and get the gun away from the deputy. And so I first saw active shooter situation at our 100 Oaks campus on Twitter before our news and communications people actually had been notified about it. Uh, Fortunately, it was resolved quickly. There was nobody hurt. But that's just an example of the role that the social media team can play in intelligence gathering and keeping a um, finger on the pulse of what's going on because it's happening, it's breaking on, on social media first. Yeah, and you know, and I hear about like Facebook and and Google and other big companies that have a lot of data at their access. They're actually looking at ways to develop algorithms to like almost predict where potential crises mm-hmm. may occur. Mm-hmm. Are you leveraging any of that um, in, in the work you do? Not directly, but the um, we do have a study at our campus with some of our uh, physicians who are looking at social media posts and being able to analyze and predict when people may be suicidal. Mm-hmm. So there's some work going on at Vanderbilt in that regard. The the whole AI big data world is pretty phenomenal. It's scary, but also very important, I think. Mm-hmm. And in particular cases, like, you know, when you look at the flu outbreaks and other things, that could be potentially a really good um, uh, a channel or tool for us to utilize in the future, mm-hmm. you know, potentially to be proactive. And I think that's the trick, right? Crisis communications is more reactive. Um, what are some of the ways that you're looking to be a little bit more proactive? Well, proactively, I think the most important thing to do is um, know who the people are in your organization that you need to be friends with. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the worst time to make a friend is when you need one. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know who your legal team is. Um, if you are not part directly part of the media relations team, if they're a separate part of your organization, you need to know them legal. Um, operations, uh, risk management, all the different uh, groups that would be involved. Think about all the different types of scenarios that might happen. Um, You know, you can think about certain crises, uh, a threat to reputation, you know, lawsuit-related, natural disaster-related, operational types of issues, and think about who all would need to be involved and make sure that you are part of the crisis comms planning team. Um, it took a while at Vanderbilt um, for social media to be clearly a part of it uh, right at the table. And I think our team has shown our value in a number of uh, issues management situations over the last couple of years where um, folks think of us pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of us first. Um, we've worked really closely with our patient relations team, for example, mm-hmm. and they now have a, a better understanding that things, as we euphemistically in healthcare call it, a service recovery mm-hmm. opportunity that shows up um, on social media can quickly escalate into a much bigger issue if we don't address it. So used mm-hmm. to, you know, we'd see a complaint on social and we'd send it to them and they would triage it. But, you know, they were often dealing with people on campus, which things that they perceived as more important because it was in real life. They've made a shift now. They recognize that uh, something that's brewing on social media, it'll take, it's much more efficient and more effective to help us nip that in the bud quickly than to let it brew and stew and that sort of thing. So thinking about those 
situations and how you can respond and developing those networks and those plans, I think are really important. Well, and you mentioned social media, right? And how things can brew on social media. I think that social media has done a really great job for us to be more actively involved and listening and responding to our communities, to our audiences. But there's also this sort of like blurring of the lines. And I just, I'm remembering what we were just talking about in in your breakout session about this, like social media can make it sometimes much more difficult too to kind of maintain or manage the situation, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Because, um, you know, used to back in the back in the days that we remember with media relations, something happened. You could you could rely on the traditional media to act as a filter um, if there was something that was you know there's two sides, no three sides at least to every story, yours, mine, and the truth, right? So you could count on them to be a filter. Now um, our patients and their families and other other folks in the institution and, who are important to us can go straight to the public with their message and, and without that filter. Um, there are good things about that, but there are also bad things about that. Um, I tell all of our doctors who uh, and nurses who you know want us to be on social media, they want us to to help them uh, get out there. The most important thing to remember about social media is that our patients and families are using it and that we used to say, you know, would you want that to show up on the front page of the Tennessean or the front page of the New York Times? Now we need to make sure that as best we can, every interaction with our patients and families are uh, Facebook worthy, that it's something that we would want them to post on Facebook. So it does blur the lines quite a bit. Um, it also, we have, you know, issues around, you think about how polarized our Uh, country is right now, politically speaking, and everyone has a right to free speech. So how do we make sure that our uh, employees and our trainees understand the ramifications of taking polarizing positions um, in social media? They have a right to that opinion. They have a right to express it, but there also may be consequences as well in terms of alienating patients or alienating referring physicians or alienating donors. Um, so it's a it's a tough conversation to have, and there are a lot of complexities to it. Yeah, gosh, my mind is kind of going many different places. It does sound very complex to do. What are some of the ways, what are some tips or tricks to maybe evolve or even start anew mm-hmm. a, a crisis communication strategy? Well, going back to what I said before, uh, imagining kind of the categories of the scenarios that might come up and having a list, already think through who needs to be at the table? How do I get in touch with them? Uh, making sure you're thinking through who needs to be informed uh, any hour of the day or night and how do we reach them? Are there things that we can do in terms of uh, template messaging based on those scenarios? For example, um, you know, sometimes that just the I mean, in the absence of information, misinformation fills the vacuum, right? So even if it's just having templated information that legal signs off on or whoever else needs to approve it to say we're aware of the situation, our people are investigating, whatever the appropriate message would be, and we'll let you know when we have more to share, at least gets your word out there that I'm aware of it, it's it's being taken care of, and, and we'll let you know what's, gonna, what's coming next. Um, I think having an idea of channels that you'd want to pay attention to, listening, um, I think that's one of the roles social can play in a crisis that's really critically important. Um, you know, think about having Twitter lists, for example, of all your media outlets that you follow. You probably already have that anyway, but in the in the case of a crisis, you would look at that and you'd want to see how do how do we set that up. What would be the appropriate? Who are the people that need to be involved to set up any listening queries on whatever tool you use as things uh, develop based on what the keywords are and getting that in place quickly? I think is um, all of those things can help you get started. You know, those that the listening is. I think it's critical and it's important, but it's always 
challenging sometimes. I mean, because clearly we in health systems, we, we manage our brands and brand names and maybe even key physicians and key, key, you know, key executives that are in our organization. What other things do you, other tricks that you might say for um, that listening to make it more proactive? Well, I think, again, thinking about what um, the key issues are that you're worried about. For example, if we're too many of us nowadays have to think about active shooters in our community. Mm-hmm. So do you set up a listing query that, that meant, looks for those keywords in your area um, so that you would, would know um, if somebody was uh, tweeting about that or posting in social? Personally, I don't, I don't think we at Vanderbilt do as good a job as I would like. I, we, we put so much emphasis on publishing, mm-hmm. and I think we miss a lot of the good that comes from listening um, it's hard to justify that from an ROI perspective until something big happens, you know. So hopefully you're listening a lot and there's nothing bad. You don't want that to happen. And so people are like, well, then why are we spending the time and the resources to do this? Um, yeah. You know, tools and technology can help as well. They can. They can. And then we're seeing them evolve, right? And we're seeing them become more sophisticated. I know we've gone a long way in, over the last 10 years, right, in terms of the ability to mm-hmm. sort of listen in and, and learn um, and maybe leveraging in the right ways. But I agree with you. It's like finding that, that balance between how much, you know, proactive content you put about your brand and awareness and all the other things that you have to do. And any other things that you want to, that you would, you would share with hospitals and health systems looking to improve what they're doing? Well, I think one thing to remember when you're in a crisis, when you're in a, especially if it goes on for a long time, one of the things that I and my team have learned is that it's it's emotional. You know, you're the one, especially if it's something where your brand is being attacked directly, you're sitting there and you're reading these tweets and you know that they don't mean it, Cynthia, mm-hmm. rationally, mm-hmm. but it feels like it's an attack on you and it's yeah. constant. Um, we had a, a crisis situation over the last year that when it was at its height, one of my team members, uh, we happened to also be trying out a time tracking tool at the time, right. and she um, was able to document that she spent 30 full hours of her 40 hour work week dealing with this particular situation. So that's tiring and it's exhausting and and helping your team understand that it's okay if you're feeling like I'm getting a little overwhelmed, it's okay to cry uncle and step away for a few minutes, Um, let somebody else step in Mm -hmm. and do the job because it can, can take quite the toll. That's something that's just natural with with how social media is too, because it's become such a personal. It feels very, very personal. Yeah, it feels very personal. The other the other thing I would point out is that we've noticed a change and a trend. Um, Social media activity is the story. Sometimes, Um, just the fact that something's playing out on Twitter will be picked up by the media, and reporters will write stories that are just copying, pasting the tweets and the tweet stream. So, you know, it's no longer just what you have to worry about what the traditional media write. What plays out in social then drives the media narrative, which then in turn drives social. It's like the snake eating its own tail, right? (laughs) We've come full circle now. Exactly. Wow. Okay, so Cynthia, where do you think that this is heading? Do you think uh, this job is going to get any easier for us? I think it's not going to get any easier because um, by the very nature of what we do, and particularly, you know, with crisis and issues management, somebody can do something stupid on, on social and it completely turns your day upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have right now, I know we're seeing it at Vanderbilt, is um, both the good and the bad, the pros and the cons of digital natives now in the workforce who've grown up living their lives out loud on social media, um, but they may not have 
yet the professional judgment and the experience to understand how to navigate that in a, in a professional way that, that reflects themselves in your brand correctly. So I think we're going to be spending a lot more education, a lot more time educating our um, employees and engaging with our employees to make sure that, that they're able to, to use social media in, in the right way, in a way that protects both themselves and, and your brand. I think social media capability is just going to become, there will always be, I think, need for a centralized group to really stay focused on it um, as part of your official communications. But I think it's a core competency for everybody in our organizations. And so um, spending more time, certainly something I would like to do in the future at Vanderbilt, is spend more time developing programs and training and um, educational opportunities to uh, improve everybody's ability to understand how social impacts their work and impacts our patients and how they can use it effectively. I was really hoping you would say artificial intelligence would solve this problem. Well, I think it could to some degree. I think it will help with a lot of the listening and that kind of thing. But um, And maybe it's just I'm just hoping I'm not going to be completely replaced by a robot. I'm hoping that there's still um, need for um, you know the grayback gorillas to have the, the judgment uh, and to make calls where necessary. Well, I, uh, clearly with all the information, the great tips and, and information that you shared in this interview, you clearly have established your 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 own ideal space in this, <laughs> and you you have a reputation. So I think it's it's great. And we hey, really a robot's not going to replace me immediately. Exactly, exactly. I really appreciate you sharing all this stuff. Absolutely. Now, when people listening in, they may want to learn a little bit more about mm-hmm. you. And between you and me, they should be following you on on Twitter and other places. Can you tell people how they can learn a little bit more about yeah, you online? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm on LinkedIn more th- often than I am Twitter. Um, so you can find me there, Cynthia Floyd Manley on LinkedIn. And my Twitter handle is Cynthia Manley. Yeah, and we'll link to that in the show notes so people can find you there. Great. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks, Chris. It was and it was a great conversation. I always appreciate catching up with you. Awesome. You too. All right, wrapping up this show, once again, we want to thank our good friend, Cynthia Manley. We've known her for a very long time, Reed, and just so glad that we get to catch up with her a couple of times a year and see what she's up to, because she's doing some cool stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of those brands, obviously, clinically, people look to uh, on a regular basis, but also... Um, uh, you know, if they do things well clinically, that probably is a pretty good indication that they're doing some uh, some good things otherwise. So appreciate her coming on. Touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, be sure to check out the other shows new and out on the exam room that I would encourage you to listen to called Getting Rid of the Stupid Stuff. Great episode by Dr. V. Mm-hmm. And uh, Data Point, Greg Matthews, off to a good start. He's got some good stuff. His newest episode with Mona Siddiqui from uh, the Health and Human Service, Chief Data Officer over at Health and Human Service. Services is a uh, great listen. Again, episode 100 coming up. Uh, check out the show notes or uh, surf over to one of our social channels and be sure to take that survey. We'd love to know what your favorite episode of the year was. And in between Christmas and uh, New Year's this year, as you're driving in between your family or you're you know stuck at the malls trying to return that gift that you don't like or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. be sure to check our clip show. The best of the Touchpoint Network show. That's going to be December 26th, the episode right before episode 100. Well, before we get out of here, a couple of recommendations. Well, I've been spending time this weekend doing a little bit of holiday shopping for my family. And the one thing I'm going to recommend 
is shop locally. I'm not a big fan of going to some of the big box stores or going to the mall, even though we have the the ridiculous Mall of America here in Minneapolis. My wife and I have spent a lot of time this weekend just going to small little artisan Christmas markets, that sort of thing, and really looking at at all the stuff that local artists are doing. Some of them, you know, are, are just very artistic in nature. Others are very practical in nature. We even went to um, a Christmas market in a distillery. So the distillery was uh, serving cocktails as you could shop through like a hundred local artists. And it was just a lot of fun. Shop local. Uh, Meatless Monday is a hashtag. I'm not going <laughs> to recommend that. However, <laughs> if you're into that, you can certainly go check that out uh, and even contribute to it. I mean, if you, if you feel like that, that works for you, <laughs> I'm going to recommend, you know, I'm calling an audible here. I'm actually going to recommend something may have recommended this, this time last year, but in any case, I'm going to recommend it again, which is a live or real Christmas tree. We've had obviously real Christmas trees. We've had uh, the artificial ones that are pre-lit, which are super handy until some of the, until some of the bulbs start going out or the strands start going out. But however, the last, I don't know, handful of years, I guess, we've gotten a real one and usually buy it from the Boy Scouts here locally. It's uh, a lot of fun uh, to bring that home, decorate it. Uh, who am I kidding? I, my wife decorates it for the most part, but it just smells nice. And then uh, after it's over, it's, uh, you know, cleanup's pretty easy. It's hard to beat a real tree. So yeah, 100% with you on that one. And yes, once again, this year, we also have a real tree, so... Thanks for hanging in for the show. We appreciate the support as we're coming up to the end of 2018 and the start of 2019. We'd love your feedback. And of course, please take that survey. Touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. That is the number one way uh, that we can help other folks find the show. So for Reed Smith and Chris Boyer, we will see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.